I want to uh, thank uh, the leadership, thank uh, you all. This last week I was able to, uh, to head up to Michigan for a couple of days and spend time uh, encouraging ministers in Michigan. Um, I helped organize and, and put together a retreat that happened at uh, Rock Lake Christian Assembly. It's in Vesterberg, Michigan. You guys know right where it's at. And, uh, and uh, it's a, a great little camp there that has uh, been serving uh, the kingdom for a long time. And uh, so I was able to work with and encourage 18 other ministers, and it was a really awesome gathering with those guys. Uh, spent time with them and, and helped them. And uh, so we had a great study in the book of James, and it was really encouraging. And I've been thinking about uh, just the different ways that our church family uh, has been an encouragement to me. Uh, lots of folks that have uh, partnered with me and encouraged me along the way. And I am so grateful that I have a church that I can brag about and say, you know what, Edna Green's not like that. Like, you get around a bunch of ministers, and sometimes they start opening up their wounds and say, oh, this is what they did. And, and I think, you know what, I'm so blessed to be uh, a part of this church family, and I just want to thank you for being my friend and encouraging me. And, uh, and so when I think about the encouragement series, I wanted to spend the last uh, few weeks just being able to... Um, just being able to say to you, you know, let's encourage each other. Let's lift each other up. Who should be the most encouraging people in the planet? And I think Christians ought to have that, you know, sort of corner on the market because we know something about the truth of the world, that Jesus has, uh, has come and rescued us from sin and death, that we should be the most encouraging people. But I realize that there are things that happen in our lives that kind of come in and sort of, you know, knock the encouragement out of us. You don't have to go very far to get some of that encouragement knocked out of you. You just go down the road a little bit and you look up at a sign and it says $4.99. It just sucks the life right out of you, doesn't it? But we have, uh, you know, gas prices are one way in which I think we all feel a little discouraged. And then there's other things that maybe not as trivial as gas prices, but we just have life happen to us. We have things that are just outside of our control that can really bring a lot of discouragement. We can have, uh, you know, a friend who gets sick, or we can have something bad happen to us in our family. We can have all sorts of issues just sort of creep into our life that sort of beat us down. I've been trying to uh, preach sermons to encourage parents and preach sermons to encourage us to love and bless our children, thinking about ways in which we can be others-focused and caring for people around us. The problem that I sometimes uh, think about is, is that, you know, I can tell you all to be encouragers, but I think sometimes we forget the source of our encouragement that it's something within ourselves and within our capability. And this morning, I want to encourage you to look to the source of our encouragement. Why are we encouragers? And Paul, he'll give the church in Thessalonica, he will give them the sort of commission and charge to be encouragers. And it's like, okay, that, you know, that sounds good. It's like asking your children to behave. Sometimes they do on rare occasions, and sometimes they don't, right? You, you know, and so as we, as we are sort of commissioned by Paul and Christ to be encouragers, I know that it can feel like, okay, Jordan's talking to me about being an encourager this week, and I don't know that I have that in me. I don't know that I can smile today. 
I f have a lot going on. I don't know that I feel like I can be the one that's passing along encouragement. And I want to point us towards the source of the joy that we have, the encouragement that we have in Christ as we look at our text this morning. So as we face the challenge in a world that's filled with high gas prices, politically charged comments left and right throughout our days and weeks, still discouragement coming out of COVID and all the things that we sort of wrestle with each day, let's be encouragers. And how can we do that? I just want to give you a simple encouragement this morning. It comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, leading into 1 Thessalonians. Uh, to jump in at the end, you kind of need to know what he was talking about before. And Paul, all along, is encouraging them and saying to them, you guys know this and you're doing great things. You continue to love each other and I'm so stinking proud of you. Like that's the first few chapters. He's like, you guys know about the resurrection of Christ. You know that there's freedom and hope in him. And he, he just kind of keeps nudging them along and he's saying, just keep it up. He sees a church that's doing a lot of the right things and he's saying to them, hey guys, stay the course, stay the course. And I see that for us in our church family to stay the course. There is discouragement, there's wonder about the resurrection, and, and in chapter 4, Paul, he gives the most encouraging message to those because they are facing the very real discouragement of people they love who have passed away. And he says to them, we don't grieve like those who are without hope. We have our hope in Jesus. And so for Paul, he's teaching the church in Thessalonica to see the world through the lens of the resurrected Lord, that something has changed because Jesus has risen from the dead. And we need to be those sorts of people too, seeing the world through the lens that Jesus our Savior has risen from the dead and reigns on high. Sometimes we get that sort of, uh, we set that thought aside. We don't always reflect uh, on every situation as though Christ is Lord and Christ is risen. And so Paul's just nudging them along and saying, guys, remember the hope we have that Jesus is alive. They would become discouraged, of course, and here's his word of encouragement to them. He points them that there's a day that is coming in which Christ will return. And I, I think that I might start writing a book on when Jesus is going to come back and make millions of dollars and be completely wrong. I see it happen all the time. This is just a little sidebar. I think you don't have to be right. You just have to say he's coming. Um, and then whatever, that's a sidebar. But, G but Paul, he says, okay, we don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And we need to live in light of Jesus is coming back. Not only is he risen from the dead, but there's a day in which he's coming. And we ourselves need to be prepared for Christ's return. And he says that we need to be prepared in such a way that we would not live in the dark, but we would live in the light. All of that to say, let's pick up in our uh, Bibles in 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I had a Bible college professor say to us, that when it comes to Jesus' return, it's probably not going to happen on a day that people predict it. Like, all right, sounds good. And that's how I've operated since. We don't know when and don't listen to the people who think that they do. While people are saying peace and safety, 
Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So he's just saying there will be a message that there's peace and safety and everything's all right, and he's saying that day is going to come, and we won't. Be, uh, we need to be ready. In verse four, but you brothers and sisters, you are not in the darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You shouldn't be caught off guard. We're not living in the dark. We live in the light. He says, you are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 10, he says, He died for us, so that whether we are a awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And then he says in verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So he's coming alongside of them and he's encouraging them. And he's saying to them, guys, we need to know that Christ is coming back. We need to be prepared. We need to be awake. We need to be ready. You are not in the darkness. You are children of light. God has given you his salvation. You have a different hope today than the rest of the world. God is, uh, God is in you. You are aware of him. God loves you. You are fully aware of this. And so he says to them, that's not you, that's not your story, you're not caught up in the darkness, you are a child of light. And he says then, here's his therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. He's like, you guys are doing great, keep it up. And I think that's the message I want to say to you, is sometimes we get sort of into the drudgery of the everyday, uh, Monday through Friday sort of routine of life and all of those things going on. If you're like me, your life is busy and we're spending quite a bit of time up at the ball field. Uh, some of you can all resonate with that uh, this uh, month of June where we're going to be up there. And uh, I feel bad for the grandparents who have like, you know, they have to be uh, house divided, jumping back and forth every which way to hit all the grandkids, make sure it's all. It can get hurried and busied and there's all sorts of things going on in our life. Pace of life is so quick. And we wonder, how do I get through this? And it's this reminder that Paul's coming along saying to them, you guys are doing great. Keep it up. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Be encouragers. Lift one another up. Build each other up. And so Paul then, he says, you guys are doing great. You're not in the darkness. You're living in the light. You're encouraging one another. And then he gives us a list. And the list I would like for you to hear this morning. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, so church, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you and the Lord, and who admonish you. He's saying, love those who are caring for you. Love those who are working hard in the church body. This is, give Jordan a big raise. <laughs> Thank you for paying attention, Rick. Um, I didn't think it was a joke, but he laughed at it like it was a joke. Um, I, I am kidding, but 
It says, hold them in the highest regard in their love because of their work. This is not, this is not pastor-centric. This is who are those who are serving the church body? Who are those who are caring for one another? Keep encouraging them. We need those encouragers. We need them to keep going strong. And so this week, I would just encourage you to reach out to those that you see serving the church and just say, thank you. Say, you know, God bless you and thank you for serving and loving, lifting up those who are in need. Hold them in highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Live in peace with each other. We're called to peace. We're called to unity. We're called to kindness and, and forgiveness for one another. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. There's enough there in verse 14 to keep us busy for a long time. It says, we urge you to warn those who are idle and disruptive. We need to be able to tell the truth to one another. I think of areas in our life where we really aren't open to that. Being able to say to someone, hey, you know what? You're being idle and disruptive. I love to just be able to say that and people receive it. You're like, you know, you're right. I see that. I see that in me. Um, you know, thinking about how do we encourage those. And here's how I see idleness. And here's how I see disruptiveness in the church. Um, sometimes I feel like we get a sense that we don't have a purpose in the church. And so we just kind of get a sense of feeling like, well, I don't really know my place. We, we can encourage you if we know that you are feeling that way. We can get you plugged in. We can help you see. And there are things in our church family. And this list sort of helps us get a sense of the things that we can be doing. And maybe you feel like, I don't have a place. I can't sing on stage, and I'm not half the preacher Jordan will ever be, and I know that, but uh, <laughs> another joke, and it was really arrogant and not good. But, uh, but you know, when you think about how can I be a part of the church family, what is my place? Pray about it. Pray and recognize and say, you know, I want to serve. I want to love. I want to build up the church. How can I do that? Maybe it's as simple as greeting. Maybe it's simple as, um, you know, Devoting your life to Sunday school for the rest of time. Uh, maybe it's simply praying for our children. Maybe it's spending time in prayer through our prayer list. Maybe it's any hundred thousand other things. Encourage those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. You know, if you're feeling idle, you could shift towards encouraging the disheartened. Help the weak and be patient with everyone. He says to us, encourage the disheartened to help the weak. I've been, I've been thinking about um, mental health as a, just in general, not just for our church family, but mental health as a whole. And how do we help people who are in depression? We hear the word depression and there's all sort of like negative baggage that goes along with that. And we think that it's a bad thing or a thing that we need to hide. And, and I think part of mental health and creating mental health is actually being a little more upfront about how we're feeling and how we're doing, being able to address those things. And so I don't mean to uh, add to the negative things, but when I think of encouraging the disheartened and helping the weak, I think sometimes we look at depression as though it's a weakness. And what I, what I would want to say to you is, is how would the church respond to those who are battling depression? Uh, I have myself dealt with depression, and one of the things that you can really struggle with is just even 
feeling like you can get anything done around the house. You know, Elijah, he dealt with depression. And what did God do for him? He gave him rest and he gave him a meal. And you know, maybe they are in their resting time and maybe the way the church can respond to those who are dealing with just not feeling very good uh, in their life is we could bake them a meal and bring them a fresh cooked meal and say we love you, rest, and we love you. What if that was the response to the mental illness issues in our heavy lately and I want to bake you cookies? Let our response be cookies. I thought there would be more amens there. Amen. All right. So encourage those who are disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. You guys don't need help with patience. That's fine. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Boy, 15's got a lot for us, doesn't it? It's calls to a life of forgiveness. Always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. It says rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Now, when you read through Paul's final instructions, how many of you feel like a really good Christian right now? I was even trying to be as encouraging as possible through it, and we come away from the list and we think, by golly, I'm not very good at this. There is more that I can do. And so I invite you to read this backwards. May, the God, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. And it says, who will do it? Everybody look at that. Tell me, what does it say? Does it say you will do it? It says he will do it. The one who is at work in you is sanctifying you through and through. And the Bible teaches us that he is faithful. God is faithful to you. And when we think about the response that we have in the world today and we think about how in the world am I going to hold up this sort of end of the bargain, that I would be the encourager that God's calling me to be, that I would be this person that comes alongside and is thoughtful and encouraging and patient and all of these things? Well, it comes from Christ in you who is faithful, and he's searching your heart and your soul, and he is giving you the strength, and he is giving you that blessing of sanctification. Paul says that we are not children of the darkness, but we are children of the light. And I think about Christ and the victory of the cross and the victory over the grave. And I think about just how dark the world was on the, on the night that Christ was crucified and buried in the tomb. And just how dark the world became when the tomb was closed 
and it was and the stone was sealed around the tomb not an ounce of light creeping through in the midst of that darkness Jesus rolls away the tomb Jesus conquers death he conquers darkness and from then on we look to Christ as the light of the world and the resurrection and the life it is his victory it is his cross his resurrection his ascension that we find our strength and the same spirit Paul says the same spirit that was at work in the resurrection of Christ is the same spirit that is alive in you and working in you that that same spirit is at work in each of our lives and he says it's sanctifying you through your soul and your spirit and your heart and your strength and he will complete it and he will make you new and you will be made new through and through you are a new person in Christ and because of the victory of the cross because of the victory of Christ from death from darkness from suffering from wrath from shame from guilt from all of it Christ is in you lifting that out of you and you are new in him filled with his love and so then I can say I can say I can rejoice always I can pray continually I can give thanks in all circumstances because of Christ's spirit who is in me because this is God's will in Christ Jesus I can make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong because Christ has forgiven me and now I forgive others I can strive to do what is good for ever uh, for the church family and for everyone else because I see Christ who strived for the good of the world and laying down his life I live from his strength I can encourage the disheartened. I can help the weak. I can be patient with everyone because this is how Christ was towards us. I can hold people in the highest regard because this is how God holds up us. He lays down his life for us. Reading it backwards reminds me where our foundation is. Christ is Lord. And he is in you. And he is working in your heart through and through. And the Bible says Jesus is faithful. It means that he is steadfast and true. It means he is working on you right now in this moment, working on your heart. And so I invite you not to be daunted by a list but to be worshipful of a Savior and let your love grow in Him and watch it pour out of you to love and care for and meet the needs of each other. Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Thank you for loving me, loving my family. Thank you for loving the church. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your kindness, your benevolence, your support, your encouragement for one another. Thank you for all the letters you've written one another. Thank you 
for laying down your lives, loving your church family. May God continue to bless us as we bless one another and bless our community. God is so proud of you. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us, encouraging us, building us up that we could continue to support and love and be patient with one another. God, you know our faults, you know our failures, you know our sins, you know our selfishness, you know our shame, you know our guilt. God, we are not perfect. And we can easily be discouraged in a world filled with discouragement. But you have proven faithful you have proven yourself kind and gracious to us. And today, Lord, we stand on the promise of your return, that you are at work in our hearts and our lives, that you continue to sanctify us and make us like you and renew us and change our hearts and our attitudes, calling us to humility, to kindness, to service, to mercy, to forgiveness. God, there's much for us to do much of us to do, much for us to do. And we're so thankful that it's not from our strength, but from yours. So we stand with our Savior. We stand with you. We walk with your Spirit. We trust in you today. Thank you for the faithfulness of Jesus. Continue to sanctify us in our hearts today, in our souls, in our minds, and in our strength. That we would continue to encourage one another and build each other up. Work on us, Lord, as your word promises. Thank you, Jesus, for working through our hearts, through and through. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We stand in response.